Welcome to the Gym Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And we are the Gym Wits. So for those of you who do not live in a place where you have to worry about street parking, first off, you're very fortunate because it is oftentimes the bane of our existence and we have to work our life around it. But every once in a while, you get a good funny story that comes out of it. So I was parking my car the other day. It's, it's sort of sad how much I talk about parking. That's mm. how much. Let's talk about your car. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just in general, right? And it shouldn't because I'm in New York. Like, you don't need a car in New York, but it's like so, so much revolves around like parking and this and that. It's just, mm. it's annoying. But it, it, you know, it's part of life, so I have to, I have to accept that. Mm. Um, so I'm doing this weird alternate side parking where they let you double park and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And this woman is trying to pull out of a parking spot and this guy has basically double parked her in and she's getting out of the, the car yelling at him and he won't move and she had enough room but she was a terrible driver but he was still not helping the situation and these other guys come running out and they're yelling at him and then one other guy comes out and helps her get out and it was it, it was just the whole thing was a scene and I'm just not thinking the whole time why doesn't this guy just move mm-hmm. like why it, it's and then he gets out of the car and he says you know, he says she's a she was a terrible driver. She was, a, and I'm like, yeah, and and you're an a hole, mm-hmm. right? So you guys deserved each other. Have a nice day. So <laughs> that was myself. Normally, you said I that? yeah, okay. big time. <laughs> and then I to took you? the spot that that the woman had, but it was very difficult because I had to park parallel park from the street. I had to drive onto the sidewalk. So I'm actually very proud of myself. It was one of the yeah. greatest park jobs yeah. in history. We, I can post the picture. It was yeah. like, you're wondering, how did I get in there? Because yeah. there's no way. You've actually had some pretty good park jobs over the years. This, uh, this, must, was, must this, this was, the, was the crown jewel. Yes. You've had but, some infuriating driving experiences. But uh, How so? Remember but, Atlantic City, oh, New Year's yeah. one time. But that wasn't bad driving. That was just me being Not, dumb. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fine. So my Fair driving enough. wasn't You weren't bad. even driving, I think. I wasn't even driving. There you go. Yeah, long story short um we were driving to atlantic city short story long short story long (laughs) (laughs) justin um and justin wasn't driving but he decided literally five minutes from the exit we were supposed to get off at that we there was there was another garden state parkway that didn't exist and so he made us take a detour of about an hour yeah yeah. um, only to find out that we were five minutes from our exit and everyone was miserable hungry tired and uh the only, the only funny part was you mooning a, a car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, long story. Well, not, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll keep it. I was 21 <laughs> yeah, at the yeah, time. Yeah, 21, so. exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so anyway, um, I was going to say something. Oh, there was a funny video online today. It's like kind of a viral video of um, there's a guy driving with his, I guess, his girlfriend and his wife. They're trying to park, and you see a woman cut across. It's in a parking lot. Yeah, and yeah. a woman sprints across, cuts in front of them, and stands in the parking lot. And, you know, he and his wife are, like, yelling at the woman, like, what, what's going on? Why? Th- you can't stand in a parking lot. And I guess, like, she said her father or somebody's car, you know, they were holding it for the car. But it's like, no, but you can't stand in the parking lot. It's my, I've got my car. I'm here. It's my spot. Um, and she, like, refused to leave. And then and was the, and I, and we never saw how it resolved. Um, but just she and then another woman who looked like maybe she was her mother or sister, they're just standing there refusing to give up that spot, waiting for somebody who had the spot. Yeah, um, that's... Yeah, I'm glad. I, I have a I have a technique for for people that do that. People do do that. Oh, and this they hold spots all the time. Like they'll stand in front they'll of stand a spot. In a spot. Yeah, really. 
Yeah, people do that. I've okay. been guilty of doing that oh. very, okay. very once in a while, but only when it's been like so late or generally only if I have to like unload equipment or something like that. It's like, look, I have to have this spot, right? And there might be other spots, but this is one. So I try almost never to do it. But if someone is doing that, what I tell them is I say, look, I, I just got to run to the bathroom. I'm not even staying here. I got to go. I just got to run up, right? And then I just grab the spot <laughs> and, and that's it. Have you ever slashed your tires? <laughs> I look, they're the ones that they're the ones doing in the wrong in the first place. So okay, I'm just so taking what's rightfully mine. I wouldn't fall for it because it's my trick. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, I'd be like, all right, you could, I'll watch you double park. I'll watch your car. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, um, what do we have for today? So we have Travis Thomas, who is a performance coach uh, and a um, an, an avid improver. So he's going to talk about um, you know his uh, you know his ideas uh, working with both uh, teams, athletic, um, you know, obviously athletic teams, uh, corporate teams, stuff like that. So without further ado, here is our interview with Travis. Hey everyone, we are here with Travis Thomas. How's it going, Travis? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, yes. Thanks for coming on the Gym Wits. So Travis is a performance coach, right? So and we're going we're gonna to get into that. But as always, the first thing we ask is about your fitness sporting background. So do you have a background in doing anything with uh, athletics, sports, fitness, anything of that nature? Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up in, well, I live in Florida now, but I grew up in Flint, Michigan. And uh, uh, for a while there, Flint, Michigan was known for, for primarily two things. One was uh, General Motors automobiles. So we, we were really good at producing automobiles. And uh, as a town, we were really good for some reason at producing professional athletes. So there was a, a slew of professional athletes out of the 80s and 90s that came out of Flint, Michigan, primarily football and basketball players. Okay. Um, but a handful of a uh, handful of baseball players as well, and I grew up like uh, a lot of American kids in the '80s and '90s, just playing every sport. You know, every yeah. season was a new sport, and I played I played every sport every season. And as I got a little bit older, I fell in love with soccer, and uh, I became a, a club soccer player. And I, I played club soccer uh, all the way through high school, and then uh, I played a little bit of tennis in high school as well. Uh, and then went to a, a Division three school for, for college and played uh, soccer for four years oh, at wow. college and have always sort of considered myself an athlete, even if I'm not a, a, a you know, a, a high-level performer, but, but played college soccer. I got into coaching. I coached high school soccer. I've coached college soccer for a year as an assistant coach, and uh, sort of my path as it as it has winded around for the last 20-plus years has sort of brought me back into sports as a performance coach working with youth and uh, college and, and professional athletes now with my work, but sports was always my, my first passion. And so I'm excited to sort of bring my work into the world of sports now. Cool. So now do you have any physical, any outlets for that kind of physical competitiveness now, or do you just exercise recreationally? Like what do you do currently? Yeah, I'm more of a recreational, uh, yeah. you know, athlete. Um, We'll occasionally, uh, you know, jump in a 5K or something like that. Uh, I've got three kids that uh, all do sports to some degree. And uh, so it, it's fun engaging with them. And, uh, and then my, my, my youngest son, who has kind of followed the, the soccer path, uh, I, I'm a performance coach for his soccer club as well. And so I get to kick the, kick the ball around a little bit. But more than anything, it's just 
you know, I'm kind of in my mid forties now, which is scary to say, but, uh, uh fitness to me is, is more about just sort of, uh, maintaining an active lifestyle and, and, and trying to be, you know, I've got the Fitbit on and, uh, I make sure that I do some level of, uh, of exercise every day. And, uh, I've got a wife who is, uh, a yoga, uh, instructor. She's a yogi. And so uh, I, I benefit from her knowledge and expertise as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so funny when you're in your late teens and you know your your twenties, the, the way you approach fitness. I remember when I was you know in my early twenties, I wanted to uh, you know deadlift as much weight as possible. I wanted to enter every judo tournament. I wanted to just you know hit it as hard as I could. Now I'm in my mid thirties. And and while some of that is is still there, the the thought is now for well, how am I going to make sure that this body holds up, you know, for the next you know sixty years if possible, fifty years, or how am I going to be able to enjoy life? How am I going to be able to enjoy eating what I like to eat? So it's funny how your goals and your your vision changes. Absolutely, and, and again, just to to speak to the health side of things, you know, I grew up. My dad uh, had a fast food hamburger restaurant. So I grew up literally in fast food, you know, hamburger restaurants. That was my diet. You know, I ate off a wrapper probably, you know, three to four times a week. And, uh, you know, tons of soda and tons of fat foods and tons of, you know, meat. And, yeah. you know, for the last six years, I've been a vegetarian. And, yeah. and for the last, uh, you know, few months, I, I've been venturing into sort of the land of veganism. And so... You know, my, my, my nutrition has gone through uh, a tremendous sort of change. And, yeah, it, it's you look – I think age makes you look at uh, sort of sustainability a little bit and go, okay, now, yeah. as, I, as I get older, what, what's going to be best for my sustainability from a nutrition standpoint and from a, you know, from a mobility standpoint, right? I, I never want to get to a point where I'm just not – I'm not limber enough or flexible enough or strong enough just to whether it's playing with my kids or grandkids or just being able to, to have it, you know, uh, uh, an active, vibrant life. Cool. So, so now no, looking at your background a little bit, uh, the title performance coach, I feel like can have two meanings because it could have the meaning, especially when it comes to athletes as coaching them to improve their performance, or it could mean coaching actual performances that then induce some kind of um, reaction or some kind of um, objective. So why don't you tell us what in, in your, from your perspective and for your job, what is a performance coach? Yeah, I would say it's, it's what you uh, mentioned a performance could, could be is, is both. And okay. so just to give people a little bit of sort of how, how this has come about. But uh, so again, I grew up playing sports. Uh, I, I, I was a coach, but I, you know, I got married pretty early on, uh, pretty young and, and started going, you know, did a, a job in the corporate world and was doing that. And I, I found improvisation. I was living in Boston with my wife and I found improvisational comedy and I said, I need to do that. And, uh, I started, started taking classes and started performing, uh, and fell in love with it and fell in love with it very much, uh, in a similar way that sports would give me that adrenaline rush of doing something that was meaningful there was a sense of pressure to it, and uh, there was the thrill of, um, I guess, competing, but the thrill of sort of being on the and uh, having to perform. And improvisation sort of became my new sport. And I just fell in love with that. I fell in love with the performance aspect of it. I fell in love, I fell in love with the philosophical side of it as well. What is it at the heart of improvisation that allows you know, a group of people to get up on stage and literally create something out of nothing? 
so what were the principles that were in play there? And immediately light bulbs went off for me as far as, well, these are the same principles that create healthy relationships and the same principles that work mm. in the corporate world. And these are the same principles from my athletic background. This is what great teams were built on, these principles that make improvisation work. And, you know, over the next 15 years, not necessarily by design, but by, by life happening, you know, I found myself unemployed, getting into the, getting into the world of corporate training, getting into the world of leadership training and personal development. And I went into each of those fields kind of with a deep dive and, and, and came out of them uh, sort of, you know, doing uh, life coaching, doing leadership coaching and, and doing performance coaching or, or uh, um, uh, personal development. And at the heart of all of those for me was, okay, these improv principles still apply here. And so, I, you know, I've been a corporate trainer for, for a long time. I've been a life coach for a long time. And then uh, about four or five years ago, I got the opportunity to, uh, to get a job at IMG Academy down here in Florida. A lot of people don't know what IMG Academy is. It's probably one of the top uh, athletic training facilities in the world uh, for youth, uh, college, and professional athletes. And I got a job down here as a, as a leadership coach. Hmm. And so for, for, you know, two and a half years on a daily basis, I was working with, you know, uh, 10 and under golfers from China in the morning, and then uh, uh, college seniors who were declaring for the NFL combine in the afternoon to working with European soccer players to working with uh, uh, Russian tennis players and, uh, and, and everybody in between. And so uh, my focus became sort of applying some of these personal development and improvisational uh, skills and mindset and, and principles into how does that how does that help athletes in team sports and individual sports and from a mental standpoint and from a leadership and life skills standpoint and so that's what I did there for for a couple of years and then decided to kind of go off on my own and start my own company called LibYesAnd and so that's what I do now I, I just I, I go I go into companies and we talk about culture we talk about mindset we talk about collaboration. And I go and I work with sports teams and I talk about the same things. What is, what are the skills and the tools of high performing athletes and what are the principles and the culture of high performing teams? And so that's sort of the work that I do now. And I just happen to use this niche of improvisation as a way of teaching it, as a way of demonstrating it in an experiential way and a way that, that really resonates and sticks with people. Wow. So <laughs> I guess everyone's wondering now, Let's dive in. What are these principles? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let, let's take the biggest one, and this is the one that all improvisation is based on, and, and this is the one that I named my company after. So my company is called Live Yes And. Uh, yes And is the foundation of improvisation. And so I just named my company Live Yes And. What if you lived by this principle of improvisation? And so what Yes And is, if you and I get on stage together, you and I have we have an agreement. All improvisers have an agreement that before, when we go on stage together, no matter what you say, I've got your back. And no matter what I say, you've got my back. And the way that we have each other's back is whatever I say, you are going to say yes and to it. So if I walk out on stage with you and you say, Travis, look, a train's coming right at us. I'm not going to question that idea. I'm not going to disagree with that idea. I'm not going to shoot your idea down. You're, you said that train's coming right at us. I'm going to yes and. I'm going to say yes. And so the yes is agreement. I agree with your reality. I agree with your idea. That's the yes. So now we're in total agreement with one another. The and is I'm going to add information to your idea. And someone is tied to the tracks. 
So I took your idea and I'm in complete partnership with you. Yes, the brain's coming right at us and someone is tied to the tracks. And all, all you're going to do is yes and my idea back to you. You're going to say yes and that's my wife. Right? So we're building this story together one yes and at a time. And I'm going to say yes and I've got, um, I've got some scissors. Let's go cut the rope. And you're going to say yes and the train is coming quick. We need to hurry. And so all you and I are doing, it's like playing a game of catch. I throw you an idea, you catch it. You throw me an idea back on top of that. We're just using one ball and we're throwing it back and forth. It's interesting. So that all improvisation, anyone can, can, can improvise in 30 seconds if you adhere to this idea of yes and, yes and, yes and. So if you and I are on a team together and we build a relationship with one another because there's a mantra in improvisation – and again, it's the mantra that I shared, but there's a mantra in improvisation is that every time I step on the stage, my job is to make you look good. And your job is to make me look good. And anyone who comes on stage, our job is to make each other look good and they're making me look good. So I don't need to worry about me looking good because you're taking care of that. And you don't need to worry about yourself looking good because I'm taking care of that. Now, from a mindset standpoint, we're all on stage listening and collaborating and trying to make each other look good. So I'm not on stage worried about, am I going to look good? Or I need to think about my idea or I need to push my agenda because I'm thinking about you and your idea and you're thinking about. And so it's this complete uh, collaborative relationship that is based on these three really important values. And those values are respect, trust and safety. We're building a relationship that's built on trust, respect and safety. And when I feel safe, I can take risks. And when you feel safe, you can take risks and I can be authentic. And I can be vulnerable and I can be creative and I'm not afraid to fail because I know that you've got my back. No matter what happens, you have my back. And so now we've got this vibrant culture where we're all thriving and making each other look good, which leads to the next sort of improv principle, which is there are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. No, even if you screw up, you don't screw up because I've got your back. I'm going to take your mistake and we're going to turn it into something good. And so now I'm not afraid to make mistakes because... Your job is to make me look good. If I drop the ball, you're going to pick it up, and we're actually going to turn it into something even better. So the best creativity, the best innovation comes out of this idea of there are no mistakes. So I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to be afraid uh, because our goal is to make each other look good. Now, if you take some of these principles and you start to create teams, relationships, and cultures based off of them, it's not everyone trying to take care of themselves. It's everyone trying to take care of each other. Uh, in a collaborative way instead of a competitive way. Hmm. And all that does foster a relationship where we are, um, uh, we're, we're, we're getting the best out of everybody. So if there's 12 of us, it's 12 brains working together instead of 12 individual brains trying to convince everyone else that they're the smartest brain in the room. Hmm. So, all right. So th there's, there's quite a bit there and a lot of it sounds, you know, it, it you know, it sounds like uh, powerful stuff. Uh, but Travis, just so that you know, I, I studied jazz music in college. That's what I initially majored oh, in. Oh yeah. So it's basically the same principles, right? You know, we're, we're absolutely. You know, you know, we're playing music together. You come up with an idea. You know, I'll work off of that. You know, we support each other. Uh, and s during a performance, it it always worked that way. But during rehearsal, it doesn't always work that way, right? Someone might no. feel that oh well, this let's go with this idea you know well i so you know someone might work off of that and say well we could make it better by doing this some person might say like you know i i don't dig that and certainly now i don't know if there is rehearsal for comedic improv 
or if there's exercises yeah. that, that you guys do. Uh, but certainly with, with teams uh, and uh, especially in a, in a corporate setting, people are not always going to agree on the same ideas. Now, of course, once you're on the field, you know, on the stage, you got you to gotta agree. But when you're preparing for that moment, you're not going to always agree. So, and that's uh, and that's a, a part of a, an important part, I believe, of a creative process is people having difference of opinions and coming together to find that healthy uh, that healthy medium. So, how do you work with that aspect of not when you're out there, but when you're preparing to be out there, and when people might have different ideas and coming together to to all see the common goal. That's a, that's a great question. It's a great clarifying question because I think the misconception, the misconception when when people think about this this whole yes and idea is that oh does that mean that we always have to agree with one another, and the answer is no. So what what, what you're on stage that idea of, of we're going to yes and each other on stage it's often taken it in, in, in a very literal sense, but but when it comes to creating a, a teams and cultures. What you're really doing is you're, you're taking the spirit and the mindset aspect of it, which is basically challenging you to say in a team and collaborative environment, uh, are you constantly showing up in a way that is open to feedback, that is open to giving ideas and receiving ideas in a way that is respectful, uh, uh, that, is, uh, that, that builds trust and builds safety? And so because what you're saying is exactly right. We're not talking about having meetings and ideas where everyone is in total agreement with one another. But here's the thing, the safer, the safer we, the safer the team and the relationship that we create, the more honest we're going to be with one another. If I see, if, if I feel safe with you, I'm going to be honest with you and say that idea sucks. And here's why that idea sucks. Let's come up with a better idea. If I don't feel safe with you, I'm probably going to have a harder time giving you more direct feedback. And if I do give you that feedback and you and I do not have a safe relationship with one another, you're going to take that feedback really personally. You're going to get defensive about it. And you're going to walk away from that interaction going, you know what, man, Travis sucks. I don't want to work with him. Or, you know what, I'm never going to share an idea with him again because all he does is shoot my ideas down. And we have all been in relationships. We've been a part of teams where we feel that way. So what, what it actually does is it, it stifles our authenticity. So we go back into our turtle shell, which is, you know what, I'm going to stay safe. I'm going to learn the rules of the game to this, uh, to this team, and I'm only going to stick my neck out when it feels safe. So what you end up doing is you end up sacrificing the potential of the entire team because no one feels safe enough or the only person that feels safe enough is the most powerful person in the room because everyone else is just going to agree with their ideas. But when you create teams and relationships where people where, – and, and, and here's the thing. These types of environments can be brutal to ideas because everyone feels safe enough to be that honest with one another. And there's great documented cases, whether it's uh, uh, the early years of Saturday Night Live, where it's Pixar. Pixar uh, and these teams, they are brutally honest with one another on a day-to-day basis from a creative standpoint. But what they do is they put so much time into building the respect and the value and the safety in those relationships where people are now taking the feedback as information, not as personal attacks. So when I talk about having a yes and mindset and building these yes and cultures, that's really what we're talking about. We're not talking about building teams where everyone just sings kumbaya and, and, and agrees with every idea, even if they stink. It's really just the opposite. That's never going to happen. People are always going to have their own opinions. Well, everyone's going to have their own opinion. 
there's a difference between having an opinion and feeling that my opinion is always the best opinion. Yes. So now with the with the kind of a yes and mindset um, or mantra, do you when you're teaching this to a group, do you te- do you teach them to kind of practice it to to do um, exercises that involve it, or are you more trying to illustrate you know why or why yes and is important and have them just apply that to everyday life? Like how do you kind of implement that idea? and allow it to kind of permeate uh, amongst the group. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, my, I always, I always talk about my, my talks and my workshops are extremely, they're interactive and experiential. I could stand in front of a group for an hour and talk about the value of collaboration and the value of listening and the value of empathy. And people are going to look at me and they're going to nod and say, true, Travis, true. Yes. I should listen to other people's ideas. Yes. I should be more empathic. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Or, we could talk about it and I could get nods or I can talk about it. And then actually I can, we, we put each other into, I put people into improvisational activities. Um, but I also do a lot of team building and I do a lot of, I do a lot of activities that, that actually demonstrate in very practical and powerful ways that on an intellectual level, all of us know that we, we know that, yeah, I'm an open-minded person. Yeah. I should listen to people more. Yeah. I should be respectful. We all know that on an intellectual level, but when, when the rubber meets the road, most of us automatically default into a, uh, a competitive um, protect-our-own-butt mentality because that's how we've been conditioned. And so what I try to bring out more often than anything is you all get this on an intellectual level, but it's a lot easier to actually practice these ideas. So I'm constantly putting these ideas and allowing them to experience these ideas. I put them into practice and seeing how difficult they are because we've been so hardwired. Uh, by society to not have a yes and mindset because we have been demonstrating our whole life that it's all about us competing with everyone else around us, even when it's not a competition. Cool. So, so now you mentioned you also you work with athletes. So I'm interested. I can see the I can see how it works um, with any kind of a team or group that works. Uh, you know, an office, um, a job, something that's collaborative intellectually. Um, however, I guess when it comes to sports, the you know, it, it's really about your physical performance. And um, so where's the value in improv and in the kind of yes and mindset? Um, where's the value in sports where, you know, at the end of the day, the, you know, what happens on the field, you know, is, is the, re- that's the result, like that's the goal. Um, so how do you apply this to sports? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. You even, you even mentioned, you know, it's about the physical performance, right? And, um, a lot of us, when it comes to, to physical performance, we literally think like it's, it's about physical performance and we often discount, uh, what is the psychological and mental aspects of high performance. And, you know, obviously that's, there is a, I, I work in an industry now where college teams, professional sports teams, and heck, I'm working for a youth soccer program that sees the value in, um, in, in mental skills and leadership skills. Because again, we're not machines, right? As much as as much as we can look at our our, our body physiologically and, and treat it as a machine and maximize it as a machine, um, obviously, as someone who who grew up playing sports and now and now coaches and, and helps athletes, there's a fine line at the top at the top of performance. There's a fine line that separates people on a very physical level. Uh, the sep- usually the the separating factor when it comes to performance at a high level is the mental aspect of the competitor. 
So again, my job is to is to help athletes individually understand how they can uh, be better at handling adversity, handling distractions, handling their own uh, a limited mindset. Uh, and then obviously I do that with teams as well. And so how I help athletes on an individual basis is I apply this yes and mindset to how we approach every aspect um, of ourselves as an athlete. And, I, and, I, and again, the reason I call my company Live Yes And is because th- these are ideas and mantras of how you live your life individually. And so th- take this idea of yes and. Um, yes is acceptance and is how we respond to that information. So on stage, right, here's my idea. Yes and I'm going to build off of your idea. But let's look at life and let's, or let's just look at athletics. If I am, if I am a five nine uh, uh, college athlete who wants to be a professional basketball player, I might look at things and go, "I'm five foot nine. I've got an uphill battle if I'm going to be a professional basketball player. Can't change my height too much. I can I can maximize my physical skills, but uh, what can I do that's going to maximize my ability?" And so part of having a yes and mindset when it comes to athletics is always being in, accept, being in acceptance with what is. And so what is? The reality is you're five foot nine. Can't change that. But what we can do is we can yes and me. I'm five foot nine and I am going to be the hardest working defender on this team. I'm five foot nine and I'm going to improve my vertical jump. I'm five foot nine and I'm going to develop a skill set that maximizes you know, my abilities and uh, over my deficiencies. And so, so having a yes and mindset, it's all about accepting the facts as facts. The and is how we respond to the circumstances. And so it's, it's, it's an athlete who's competing. If you are, uh, if, if you're losing one to nothing, if you're a soccer player and you're losing one to nothing, the reality is if you're losing one to nothing, so how do you yes and that? Yes, we're losing one to nothing, and I need to shut my player down, and I need to step up and win this ball, and I need to put the ball in the back of the net. So a lot of the work that I do with athletes is we talk about the difference between the victim mindset and the victor mindset. The victim mindset, I call it the big three, when you're stuck in the victim mindset as an athlete or just in life in general, you're stuck blaming, complaining, or making excuses. You're blaming others for why things didn't work out. You're making excuses for why they didn't work out, or you're just complaining about the situation. It's too hot out today. I don't want to work out because it's too hot. I didn't get enough sleep. I didn't I didn't eat the best foods today. My alarm clock didn't go off. Yada, 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 right? You get caught in the big three of that victim mindset, and nothing happens, right? You, you are stuck when you're in that victim mindset. Well, the victor mindset, or what I would call the yes and mindset, is the complete opposite. When you're in the yes and mindset, you take ownership, of your experience. You, so you take authority for it. Um, you take accountability for the circumstances. If I didn't get a lot of sleep last night and I have to train tonight, yeah, I didn't get a lot of sleep tonight. And you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm still going to go out there. I'm going to train to the best of my ability. If I'm playing in a match and the referee strength, yeah, the referee strength. And I'm going to adapt how I am playing so that I don't keep getting called for fouls, et cetera, et cetera. If it's hot out today, yeah, it is hot out today, but guess what? It's hot out today for everybody. So I'm going, get, I'm going to get more hydrated. I'm not going to make excuses because at the end of the day, no one cares. No one cares why we didn't achieve what we commiserate with us, but at the end, we don't care. When we go to bed at night and we take that pillow test, the pillow test is we reflect on our day, and if we feel good about ourselves, we go to sleep. 
But if we spend our day in regret or thinking about all the ways that we sold ourselves short during that day, we have a lot harder time going to sleep. Mm. And so I help individuals and I help teams um, have that yes and mindset, which is you cannot you cannot control what is happening, but you always get to ch- you always get to choose how you respond. Mm. And that's one hundred that's one hundred percent of the time. And so. For, for athletes and for individuals to understand that, you know what? Yeah, life is going to throw a lot of junk at you. You can't change that, but you always get to choose how you respond to it. And again, that's responding in a, in a yes and mindset. So it, it, you know, theoretically, it's, it sounds like something very good to buy into. Um, but for people right now, I'm, I'm not a yes. Uh, I should say yes. And right. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> because I actually think it's a great principle, um, for people that, um, are starting a business, maybe they have a, a, a team of people or, or partners or a sports team or, or whatever. And it's, it's easy to, to have this sort of to have this mentality when you're first getting started when there's momentum and you're 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 feeling confident or maybe if there's a team and you get a few wins under your belt and you're feeling good it's like yes but when you know when the ship starts sinking a little bit is how do you continue to have that mentality right because everyone's excited but if, let's say you have a restaurant and it's just not you're you're still hemorrhaging money. You're still losing it. How do you continue to to think in that way when the reality is that oh my team is losing. I'm not being as successful as I thought I would work out. It's taking too long. Yeah, well, I mean, we're talking about two things, right? The, the first thing is, you know, um, how do you continue to think in that way? Well, the alternative is 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 to give in is to give in to the negative victim side of things, right? Yeah, and as soon yeah. as we give in to the victim side of things, we're we're, we're you know we're, we're stuck, and it's it's just a matter of time before the ship goes all the way down, uh, because we're no longer taking ownership, and we're no lo- we're no longer taking uh, um, a uh, an adaptable uh, responsive mindset to, to our difficulties, right. In, in the world of the growth and the fixed mindset, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a growth and fixed mindset and from a growth mindset or a victor mindset or a yes and mindset, what you're really talking about is you're constantly in this mindset of find a way. All right. Sales aren't working out. Find a way, find a way. You know what? The, the, the approach that we're, we've been taking has, hasn't been working. Guess what? Find a way. And, there is no guarantee that by having this mindset, you're going to be successful in that specific endeavor, right? Because what we're really talking about is how do we embrace failure? And whether you're starting a business or whether you're competing as an athlete, uh, no matter what you're trying to do, that is because what we're talking about, we're talking about performance here. We're talking about trying to achieve something that is hard work and anything that we put um, uh, sort of our, our, our life into and set out to do that that's about high performance. We're going to fail. We're going to fail more times than we're, we're going to succeed. The question is, how do we respond every time we fail? And it's the reason people don't pursue their passions and dreams. Because the fear of failing is, is, is more powerful than the possibility of success. Now, the people that achieve those levels of success have found that the fear of not doing anything is more painful than actually the feel of failure. And so it's actually how we respond to the failure because we're going to fail. 
right? I've got a 10 year old son who told me three weeks ago, dad, I don't want to play late in the second half of a soccer game. He's a defender. He goes, I don't want to play late in the game because I don't want to be the reason we lose a game. And of course I'm going, that's exactly why you need to play back there. So what happens <laughs> the very next game is his coach puts him in there. He and another defender run into each other. The other team takes the ball and scores, lose four to three. Mm-hmm. And as bad as, as badly as I felt for my son, deep down I'm going, yes. Let's let let let's figure out what that feels like now. Three weeks later, and this is crazy. Three weeks later, he is playing the best soccer of his life because I think he realized, you know what? I just experienced the thing that I feared most, and I went through it, and it wasn't that big of a deal. So I'm over that hump now. I'm not playing afraid. I'm gonna. And I told him, like, buddy, you're gonna. That's gonna happen again, and it's gonna happen again and again and again. But you're just not gonna worry about it anymore, and you're gonna get better at it because you're just not afraid of it. So what we're talking about is how we how we respond to adversity, and um, we're either going to respond from to adversity from a standpoint of what did I learn from that experience and let's do better next time, or I'm going to either respond to adversity of that was really painful I never want to experience that again, and that obviously completely changes the trajectory that we take in life to either get back on the horse and try again, or I'm going to retreat back to a quote unquote safer alternative where um, there's less risk involved. So I'm not sure if I answered the question. With yeah, that. no, no, no. I think that's, I, 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 you definitely did. And it, it brought up an idea that is somewhat related. And I'm just curious to, to ask your, your thoughts on the matter. You talked, you talked about your son being worried to, uh, you know, fearing that he might cause the team to lose the game. And of course, you know, there's the theory that no individual loses the, the game. It's the team that loses, right? But that's, I guess that's a separate, you know, thought, you know, the team loses or wins together. That's a separate thought. Um, right. But do you feel that, that uh, especially with, with kids nowadays, that th- this sort of sentiment is, uh, is pervasive because the, you know, adults, you know, schools, institutions are not allowing kids to fail. They're, they're not allowing kids to be told that they're wrong or that uh, wrong is not the right word or, or that maybe they haven't worked hard enough or even as some people say, right, sometimes you have to have your feelings hurt a little bit once again, not in an insulting way, but uh, that's what I've seen. As someone who works with a lot of kids, there's this sort of sentiment of, every, you know, everyone wins. You know, no, you, you you've never done you, you've never done wrong. Um, you can't you can't fail. We'll put you in a position where you can't fail, and everything is 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 always rosy. It's sort of mixed in with the fact that a lot of kids today get everything they want. With uh, you know, parents will never tell their kids no, and oftentimes you see the parent, the kids parenting the parents. So, do you think that this this sort of fear of not of achieving or not winning is, is somehow tied in to to what we see with a lot of uh, children, schools, parents nowadays? I'll give you the short answer. The short answer is yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you, want, you, want, you, 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 want, you want the longer response? <laughs> I, I'm just curious to, to, to – I'm just curious if I'm off base, if I'm just – No, you're you not. Know, okay. All right. And, well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, so yes, yes, that, 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 that seems to be the case. The thing that we need to be willing to look at is and, – and again, 
I'm, I'm a parent of three children. When, when we're talking about parents, we're talking about me and my generation. So if I've got a problem with this, I'm the problem. Yeah. Right. I'm the problem because, because we are the ones who are the teachers now. We are the ones who are the coaches. Yeah. And if we don't like that every kid gets a, a participation trophy, well, we're the ones who are setting the rules. Let's not get mad at the kids. Let's not get Absolutely. mad at the kids yeah. for, for, for how they're being treated ones who, who are doing it. So what, what, in my opinion, what, what, what we're noticing, and I think the pendulum is starting to swing back a little bit, is if you're like me, uh, we grew up in a generation where um, we were told by coaches, be tough, uh, man up, uh, and if, if, if you're not good enough, um, figure it out. Uh, if you're not confident, we're told, get out there and be confident. Well, there's, there's not a whole lot of um, uh, uh, teaching in that. There's yeah. a whole lot of you need to be tough and you need to be confident, but there's not a whole lot of, well, how, how, how coach, how do I do that? Uh, I was just working with a, a group of uh, academy soccer players this morning, and we're talking about the idea that where does confidence come from? Confidence comes from competence. We feel confidence when we have demonstrated competence. So you don't tell someone, go out there and be more confident. You give them opportunities to go out there and demonstrate competence. When I have demonstrated it, now I feel a greater sense of confidence, which allows me to go out there and perform better, which gives me more competence, which then increases my competence. It's cyclical. So what we had happen is we had a generation of kids that a lot of us um, – walked away from sports with a sour taste in our mouth. And we have parents that grew up saying, you know what? I didn't like the way that that felt when I was a child. I want my child to feel good about themselves. And so we, we overcompensated. And our solution for making kids feel good about themselves is we don't want to see them fail. We don't want to see them be in pain. We want everyone to get a trophy. We want everyone to feel good about themselves. Well, that's not, that's building a false sense of confidence because they're not developing any competence. Yeah. And so the, pen, the pendulum is swinging back to, and this is a, a big part of my work, especially with youth athletes, is, and again, I've talked about the failure. The number one thing I do with the youth that I work with is we embrace failure. And we turn, we turn failure into something to celebrate, not because you were trying to fail, but because failure comes when we get outside of our comfort zone. So we need to have kids. We need to have performers. We need to have students. We need to have creators. We need to have athletes that are encouraged outside of their comfort zone. But, but we've, we've been growing up in this perfectionist society where people think that failure equals, that, that failing equals failure compared to fail, failing makes you a learner. And so failing doesn't make you a failure until you quit. Failing means that you're learning. And then what did you learn from that? Go out, try it again, fail again. What did you learn from that? And it's cyclical. You're getting better. You're getting better. And you're getting better. What we have is a generation of kids who are afraid to failure fail because they think they're supposed to be perfect. And if they're not perfect, they must not be good at it. They shouldn't do it in the first place. So we need to reframe for kids what failure actually means. Failure means that you're getting outside of your comfort zone. And that's where all the learning happens. And by getting outside of your comfort zone and failing, you are expanding your comfort zone. Now get outside that comfort zone again and do it again. So we're embracing failing as one of the greatest learning tools that we have. So yes, we need to be okay with our kids feeling failure and going through failure and processing failure without us rushing in to tell them, it's okay, it's not your fault. We can let them feel what that feels like and go, okay, hey, what, 
what did that feel like? Hey, what'd you notice? You know, what are you thinking about? What'd you learn from that? And then allowing them to process that. And then again, giving them that encouragement and that safety. Hey, let's get back on the horse ride again. Cool. So, so um, I want to pivot a little bit uh, since we're a fitness podcast, and I'm sure we have listeners that would like to, you know, maybe get some advice on how to apply this to their own fitness um, goals, whether they're trying to advance further or trying to get back into it. So, a lot of what we've talked about has been dealing with collaborate collaborative uh, endeavors, whether it's sports or work um, and or competitive endeavors. But how do you, how does somebody who's just trying to get fit uh, where it's very much an individual internal struggle, how can they apply these, um, you know, these principles or this principle or, you know, improv as a technique to, to help enhance their own um, personal fitness? Yeah, I mean, well, I would think it, to, just to, to use that, that, that idea of yes and again, right? What, what is the most discouraging thing? Anyone who's starting from zero, right? Anyone who's wanting to get, out of the cou- get off the couch, anyone who's wanting to, to lose a few pounds, um, uh, and actually someone who, who's wanting to lose a lot of pounds, how about that? Or someone who wants to get off the couch and set the lofty fitness goal. You know, that's, that's the hardest spot to be in, right? Because the hardest, the hardest thing is taking step one. Right. So you talked about that idea of, of momentum earlier. How do we build momentum? And and so I think I think the first thing the first thing we need to be able to do is, again, we need to be in acceptance with what our current reality is. If I want to run a marathon, if my goal is to run a marathon, but right now I can't run a quarter mile, that's my current reality. So my current reality is, man, I, my goal is can I go out and run a quarter mile? I'm not. So the marathon is the goal. My reality is, is, is the quarter mile. All right. I'm going to go out once I can get to that quarter mile. So my, my immediate goal is, Hey, I need to go out and run a quarter mile. And then let's say maybe the next goal is running a full mile. And so it's having the big goal in mind, but it's also going, okay, how do I build momentum? I build momentum by taking one more step today than I did yesterday. And then one more step tomorrow. Because the, 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 the spot that people start to check out is the, the goal itself is so intimidating that we don't know how to take that first, second, or third step. Or once we get down that road a little bit, we, we, we start to realize we're not seeing the results that we wanted to see uh, as quickly as we wanted to. And so, again, we quit. And so we, we, uh, we get discouraged with the process. Uh, instead of being in acceptance, again, by saying, yes, you know, my goal is fun. It's going to take a long time to get there, and it's going to be really hard work. So let's be upfront with ourselves. This is going to be a tough, tough road. Is it still worth it to you? So, and uh, so I was going to say, and so the next, the next and probably the most important thing that we need to have in place, thing I haven't talked about, which is one of my three pillars, though, the, the number one thing that we have to have in place is why, is why, what's your purpose? Why, why do you want to get off the couch? Why do you want to lose weight? Why do you want to be fit? And the deeper and more meaningful that purpose and why is, uh, the greater your ability is to push through adversity. But if I, if I'm in, you know, if I'm in pursuit of getting fit just so I can have some rock and six pack abs that make me look good when I, when I look in the mirror, and my goal is as superficial as that, that might not carry me far enough when I start to get tired of my workout. But if my goal 
my purpose is to be active, to, to play an active life in my kids' lives and to be active with my grandchildren and to still be living 30 years from now instead of, you know, dealing with, you know, health issues and, and, and not being able to get off the couch. Well, that motivation might, might uh, uh, help me deal with adversity more than just wanting to look good in the mirror. So um, that's great. I think that really is something that's applicable to anybody. Um, so I want to get back to improv for a minute. Um, I have a, a couple friends that are that are involved in one way or another. We actually just interviewed somebody who is part of a company in New York, but he it was about something other than improv, but he does it all the time and just had a performance. Um, but I've always found it to be something that would be incredibly intimidating and scary to do, and I can kind of recognize the value, but the really insecure part of me is a, would be afraid to do it. So how do you get somebody past um, that insecurity or fear of trying it? Well, just yeah, I would say, you know, it's funny. I, I recommend to everybody, uh, whether you have any uh, intention of ever performing or, or not, uh, again, I recommend anyone find a theater in your area, uh, either take, a, take an introductory improv workshop or sign up for a level one class. And the reason being is it's going to benefit you in, in so many ways from helping you with your personal presence skills, your communication skills. It's going to introduce you to all of these principles of improvisation and anyone who has a fear, right, a fear of, of just getting up on stage in the first place, you take an introductory class. You're going to be taking a class with a group of people who have the same fear that, that you have. And so it's a, it's a supportive environment where everybody is kind of in the same boat. And, again, you're, you're building an environment where it's going to be safe and you're going to feel safe getting outside of your comfort zone in a way that's going to stretch you, but it's not going to stretch you so far that uh, – um, it, it, it's going to be too difficult for you. Uh, and anyone who's dealing with that fear of, oh, I could never do that. Well, sure you could. You could, you could, you could, you could take a workshop, take a class where you're not going to have to necessarily go up and perform in public, but you're going to be able to get introduced to these ideas uh, in a safe, um, you know, in a safe and, and uh, environment. Well, Travis, thank you so much. I think you had some incredibly valuable insight. And it's just so funny, The uh, as you're speaking, I just, I flashed to different situations in my life, a lot of them having to do with, with teaching and working with kids. And uh, because I'm, um, one thing that I do is I coach uh, kids to, to perform in, in rock bands. And I see the oh, same things come up, the sort of, you know, fear of getting up there, the confidence, when they have confidence, the, the way they do it, right, the sort of, the, this, you know, this sort of feel of fear of failing, the sort of not allowing themselves to go through with something, right, almost so that they can say, well, I didn't try my hardest, so who cares? Like, all, all of these, these sentiments, I see the group d- dynamic, how, how, the, how the yes and works and how, you know, sort of, you know, the, the way to deal with, you know, uh, dissenting opinions and how to come together. So much of what you're talking about, I, I see it playing out and I'm thinking to examples of how it's played off, played out. So you have some great insight and um, I'm sure you're an incredibly valuable resource for you know people in all walks of life. So how can we, uh, how can we contact you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, again, so my, my website is liveyesand.com. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much all over social media uh, uh, at liveyesand. And, um, yeah, between my website and social media, I'm pretty active. Uh, and, and I'm always, 
you know what, I'm always responsive, whether someone uh, wants to text me or reach out, they have a question via email or Twitter or Instagram, whatever, like I'm super responsive. I love hearing from people. Um, and uh, yeah, I would love if any of your listeners want to follow up or they have any they have any questions, feel free to reach out. I've got a, I've got a book uh, on Amazon called oh. Three Words for Getting Unstuck, uh, Live Yes And. Uh, you can find that on my website or Amazon. And I have online programs. And um, yeah, but you can, yeah, it's, I, you can find all my information at liveyesand.com or at liveyesand. Fantastic. Well, once again, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the Gym Wits. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Awesome. So that was a great interview. Um, I will say I, I was going to hold it because I didn't, just felt like it wasn't worth talking about with with uh, Travis on. But I think that whole kind of you know snowflake, everybody should get a trophy idea is really overblown. You know, like like in a couple of ways. Number one is it even if it's more prevalent among kids now, uh, there is no. There's no nothing that says that that's necessarily wrong at a certain age. So if you think about it, like if you're seven or eight, you're playing soccer. You know, I get that you need to be competitive, and I, I would I would want my kids to play in a more competitive league. But that it it does it doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with with building their confidence to some extent. Now the fact of the matter is that as you get into higher levels of sports, if you're in high school. You're even in middle school sports. It's win or loss. You're not. They're, they're not giving participation trophies to every kid that plays high school basketball yep. or every kid that plays in middle school. Like I, I know tons of parents. I know tons of people with kids. I work with tons of kids. I've never heard a kid tell me that they're playing in a league where everybody they, they don't they don't have scores and nobody wins. And sure, I'm sure you can find you know cases here and there and anecdotes. But when it comes to competition. As soon as you get to the middle school and high school level, it's competition. There's no such thing as, you know, nobody, everybody gets a trophy or everybody wins. So I feel like that whole idea, like I said, A, is overblown. And B, you know, show me some research telling me why it's wrong for a really, really young kid to get that. And so I think that's my only and, – and, and this is just something like I don't have – you know, my, that's only just my, my, my thoughts on it. And I didn't feel and – and, I just feel like that's something that is it's fun to say, especially now with uh, it's really it's a great stab at like you know liberals and you know that that oh everybody's a snowflake and everyone gets in. It's like I don't I don't see it. I don't believe it. So here's the thing. I, I actually agree with you about participation trophies, and I think that participation trophies can provided that you do participate yeah. is 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 good, and it, yeah. it it helps build confidence as well as confidence. Yeah. Um, I think that you're missing the point, and that it's not that there that participation trophy is an analogy mm. for the way that kids are treated in general. Uh, and I have a response there. Um, yeah. The um, I'm sure you do. Yeah, no, I, I do. No, actually, so you, you, you the, started because I, I my next point was going to be this. I, I I do agree that the participation trophy is good. I think that with the sports and the athletics, I think that. Yeah, of course, it becomes it's very competitive when you get and it's about winning and losing. Of of course, I think that the issue, with, especially with sports and the, you know those particular activities, is that at, at some of the younger ages, that the kids that are actually better are not r really rewarded, Re and when the life is based on a reward system, so the better. That's just one little. I don't. That's no, one. All right, that's fine. Here nor there. I think that in if in you're general, good at a sport. You know you're. You good. know you're good. The parents and know you're good. The coaches but, know you're good. But see, I think, you're, gonna, I think you're going to be pushed to perform more. You're, you know, they're, they're, you're they're, looking they're, at it clearly. Be, you know, like it's just clear. I, 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 I get it, but 
there are, I think that the, the issue is with the kids that don't work hard, the kids that don't really participate, that are just there doing whatever, and then being rewarded. I think that that's, Again, an, that, that, that's an issue. And I, don't I don't buy into I that. Believe, I, I, well, I believe that a participation trophy, right, you could lose and be terrible if you participate. That's great. I mean, but if you don't participate, I don't think you should get a participation well, trophy. Okay, but even and so, just because you're on a team doesn't mean back, that you're participating. Fair enough. But, like, think back to when you were playing, you know, in Little League, you know, whatever. Let's say your, your first year of t-ball. Everybody gets a medal. Do you remember that medal? Did that medal have any effect on your confidence? No. So getting a part, like, I, like I understand what you're trying to say is that if somebody doesn't, it's not just but, about so, the well, medal. Me, it's about the, the 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 it's you know the about this sort of thought process and the, well that you don't want your the kids to okay. fail and to, so to feel your, discomfort. Where you're the difference, I think, and this is where I where and it's the just point a micro, I was going. The sports is a point, microcosm of no, this where is we the see point it. I, I was going to make is that I think you're conflating kind of athletic endeavors with just parenting techniques. Absolutely. And so the the issue is we both deal with affluent kid parents and affluent yeah. kids. And I think no matter the generation, they tend to be more spoiled. They tend to be more um, expecting of praise. They tend to be more privileged. And so I definitely see when you're dealing with when the, the more affluent the, the group or the kid, the more likely they are to feel that they deserve, you know, they deserve acknowledgement um, just for participating. But I think that and, and often that the parents, you know, have a certain expectation, even if they haven't really earned it. And but I don't see that nearly as much with middle class families or even upper middle class families or, or you know oh, yeah. so I I think that that issue from our and like for our experience from working with people, you know that's more of an issue of class. But oh, it certainly I, has you know. But I think as a kid, how it, it affects you is you know I think when you're at a certain age when you're young enough, I don't think you know getting you you want to build confidence and and um and and uh, you don't want. The insecurities that come with with uh, failing and not and being to, or not or not being able to, being able to participate. So, for example, I'll give you another example. When we played in Little League, um, we were 12, 13. So at that point, you know, you're you're at a point where you need to learn how to win and lose. But in in the regular league, everybody got to hit. Even the kids that sucked, everybody got a, a part because you know parents are paying. Everyone's yeah, there. So even sense. though you're the better players got the better spots on the team and played a little bit more, but you had to give everybody a chance. Sure. But then on the kind of tournament team, that in that situation, they only picked the best of the best because uh, that was that's the not that well, debatable. That's, but that's a political thing. Political, there was but, political but, but, too, which it's it also but, factors into this discussion. But beyond that, like generally, it was meant to be yes, the best performers the play. Players, and then yeah. if you were on the tournament team and you sucked. You probably weren't going to play, so you know there there are levels for kind of the quote participation trophy. But at yes. the end of the day, you're going to get you get to a certain age where you if you're good, you're going to get credit and you're going to get recognition and you're going to do well. And if you're not good, you're not. And so I just I, I just get a little defensive when people talk about the you know this being a generational problem. And I just think it's a lot of this stuff gets overblown. And you take one or two anecdotes of I'm sure there's a, a, a you know a soccer league where they decided not to you know no winner wins a lot. But again, it's no, like, that's just ridiculous. You know, taking but, these coupled anecdotes here and there, that doesn't mean that the I, entire, you know, it's, it's a it's a generational problem. Well, I, I actually I think it is a generational problem though, but not necessarily with the athletics because I, I think that was more of an example that we were given. The the way I see it more actually with the sports is just in everyday life with kids not 
being told no, no, you can't have this. You know, with kids being given, you know, you know, iPhones at six years old, right, and having unlimited access to everything they want. Again, and, those are issues right? of being affluent. It, those it is the, not. And, I, you and, know what? Or, mm, but okay. That, but again, that's a parenting thing. But it's a very common thing, and I think I don't, I don't know it. if that's a. I see that amongst all about all classes, like parents just not saying no to their kids. Well, okay, but but see here, th- there's a difference. There is uh, that's not an issue of parents not saying no. I think that's an issue of you know in our society right now, smartphones, you know, and screens. Because I ta- hear parents talk about screen time and they have to limit the screen time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. those are a part of everyday life. It's part of your life, it's part of my life, part of mo- you know most of our listeners, most parents. You know, having some kind of device th- that sure. you interact with, you know, for most of the media and, and information you get throughout the day is just part of your life. Well, sure. And so, and and it's so we have. we grew up at a time where for the first half of our lives it was non-existent, and then for the second half it only really has been prevalent for half of the second half of our lives. You know, so this is new territory. And so yes, is it weird giving a kid an iPhone? Yeah, I guess. But like in ten years, is it is that really going to be a weird thing when there's everybody has a smartphone, a smart device? Like that's not a, a that's not a generational problem because at the uh, end of the day, our lives well, it might be, revolve. It might but, be a generational but it might problem, be. But our lives now revolve around it. You can't interact with the world without a smartphone. You, yeah. I mean, for the most, you, you can try. I know people who've given up smartphones, and it's really tough. So within I, within reason, when so when, I, when a six year old has a smartphone, has a, has an iPhone right now, I could understand yeah. having a, maybe a tablet that that he can use that you let him use once in a while to play games and stuff like this. But to have an iPhone, it it just but why not? Huh? Why, why but but having well, a having a phone is is essential. We now we grew up at a time we didn't need a phone, but it, it is an essential part of life now because they're, part, not using, a, they're not using they're not using it as a phone. They're device. using. I mean, it's it's sure. it's, a, it's, a, it's a walking video game that they carry but around with them all the time. And they're walking access to information, but they're not but, using it for information. And, and so, so like, right, it's like the, it's not the educational tool that but I grant that. Kids are not searching and reading, you know, well, sure they are. scholarly articles. There's tons of stuff, but regardless, yeah. we so in, they just replaced one, you know, method of mindless entertainment for another. Mm. Now, the, the, the argument yeah. will be, especially as a fitness podcast, is by spending more time at their screens, they're spending less time playing, which not is a whole important. other. Okay, so issue. that's a whole yeah, other yeah. thing. But or that's socializing but, too. Sure, they're socializing, but it's a different mm. kind of socialization. Yeah. Again, you can argue. You can. It's, argue, a, di- it's a different type. Of you can argue whether or not it's good or bad. Sure, but it it is it is um, you know just a, a modification of life yeah. that's essential and that's real. Again, it may not be a good thing, but it's it's part of life. You know, you, you, and you can't expect that we're going to interact on social media and be so tied to the internet and tied to our phones. You can't expect that as adults we need that, but then what we're going to divorce our kids from it and then they you know of course they're going to be part of it because that's part of our lives. Well, once again so, within well, I, I think it's with within reason. No, right? W- w- within reason. And of course this is an int- we we should almost do a yeah. we are doing a yeah, maybe, we yeah, are maybe, doing maybe a podcast well, well. on it. Um so yeah, my view is on it is 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 within reason, yeah. right? No, and we will we'll further this discussion, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll further this discussion, uh, you know, later. There's I'm, there's there's a lot that wraps up into it. So yeah, wrap right. us up. Oh yeah, wrap <laughs> us up. Um, uh, so 
Uh, let's see. Always tons of stuff. Um, Jimwitz.com for all of our information. Now we'll tell uh, you about all our social media stuff. Yeah. Make sure to look on your phone. Yeah, and write, Just, yeah like, exactly. Get, right. Get, get, download the app. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, Jimwitz.com has all of our stuff. So if you want to, you know, whatever, however you get us, uh, whatever social media you interact with, you know, tell uh, your kids too. You know, tell your kids. Tell your kids to download Maybe. the app. <laughs> yes, exactly. Tell them to download the Jimwitz app. Yeah, At least they're, they're going to be on their screens. Might as well get something educational. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And uh, we should be on Alexa by now, so we, you can s- use us as an Alexa skill and listen to the gym that's on Alexa. Uh, what else? Uh, Survey.lispin.com. Yes, if please. you haven't done that yet, do it for us. It helps us out a lot. So if you're a listener and you enjoy the content, uh, please, uh, little little five minute, not five minutes, like 30 seconds to a minute of, of work for you. So uh, if you do that, it would help us out um, immensely. Uh, and I guess that is it. I'm As Ryan. always, thanks for listening. Yeah. Yep, thanks for listening. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And we are the Jimmits. <laughs>